You're listening to Campus Review Radio. Hi, I'm Lauren Smith, Education Editor at Campus Review. Peter Grester used to be a foreign correspondent. He was tried and convicted on trumped-up charges in Egypt and was jailed for 400 days. Following that, he became an advocate for freedom of the press. Now he's turned to academia, taking up a position at UQ as the UNESCO Chair of Journalism and Communications. We spoke about his career so far, what he's looking forward to in his new role, and the pressing issues facing journalism today. With your experience being jailed in Egypt, if you're okay with talking about that again, can you describe what that was like? It's a a fairly straightforward question with a very big answer to it. I mean, it was a complex experience. I don't quite know where they began. The the thing is that it it was completely unexpected. You know, I've done a lot of difficult reporting from difficult places and I've done a lot of work over the years where I expected there to be some kind of blowback. Um, you know, I've, I've done work that's upset governments, that's made a few warlords cranky, that's you know generally um, got noses out of joint. But what was happening, what we were doing in Egypt was really pretty, pretty bland work. I'm almost embarrassed by that. I wish, I wish, I wish they'd picked this up for something a little bit more spectacular um, as a journalist. But I and so. It was, it was completely unexpected. We had no idea this was this was coming, um, and that's why I think it was, well, both for for us and and also for for all of our supporters, it became, you know, quite a difficult thing to to deal with. But having said that, you know, in my in the course of my career and on front lines with refugees, and some of the world's more difficult places, I've also seen quite a lot, and I suppose picked up a few uh, tricks around resilience, which also which also helped. When we were first arrested, we thought it would all be over fairly swiftly. I thought initially it had been a mistake of a case of identity. He had missed the room number on the arrest warrant when they came to the hotel room. And then when it became clear that they had the right guy, um, I thought, well, look, there's been a mistake. Someone's misunderstood some of our reporting. There'll be a few phone calls. We'd be allowed to go. At most, I thought we'd spend a night or two in the cells and it'd all be over. So when it went on and we ended up not just spending a long time in prison, but ending up with a conviction and um, a, a sentence of seven years, it was pretty devastating. The thing that I think kept, or certainly kept me going, was was the understanding of just how much support we had internationally, um, both amongst our professional colleagues, but also amongst ordinary people. Um, but also the fact that we became we came to represent something quite significant, and that was a, a much broader struggle for, for a defence of, of press freedom, and, and that meant that it wasn't personal. It was it, it became a an institutional thing. It, 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 we were picked up, I think, not because of anything we did, but because of what we came to represent. And so, in trying to fight that, um, we 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 pushed back in favour of the cause. That meant that, as I said, it, it wasn't personal. It was something that we we had to fight for on principle, and I think that made it a lot easier to deal with. So that leads perfectly into my next question, which is about your focus after that, which is on advocating for media freedom. 
I understand that this is becoming worse and worse, as in it's becoming curtailed more and more. So can you talk a bit about perhaps why that's happening? It's one of the things that I thought about a lot while we were in prison. The problem for me was that I couldn't understand the gap between what we're accused of doing, which was effectively consorting and supporting and working with terrorists, and what we actually did, which was pretty mundane journalism. And as I said, it, it, I started to see this as, as, as a representative thing, that we were there because of what we came to represent. But it also occurred to me that, that what had happened to us was, was a pretty egregious example of the kinds of things that we're seeing taking place all around the world, especially since 9-11, where governments are using the war on terror and national security more generally as an excuse to tighten up on the press. And if not explicitly to clamp down on press freedom, then in imposing all sorts of fairly draconian laws, which have a very negative effect on the work that journalists are able to do. The, the kind of underlying thesis that I realized was that in a war over physical stuff, which was fairly typical of wars pre 9-11, over tangible things like land or ethnicity or water, journalists were observers rather than participants. But what 9-11 did was turn it from a war over things into a war over ideas. And in that conflict, in that battle over ideas, the space where ideas themselves are transmitted becomes a part of the battlefield. And that's the media itself. And so journalists have become targets in, targeted by governments, both implicitly through legislation and getting caught up in or dragging them into prisons under the legislation the way that we were, or explicitly in which journalists and media organisations are deliberately targeted by governments, or by the extremists themselves who have seen that it's now perfectly valid to go and take the heads off journalists. And so broadly speaking, in the contest of ideas, journalists have taken a, a massive hit. Now you spoke about the journalists in prison and, and the arguments around press freedom. I think that when George W. Bush said, you're either with us or you're with the terrorists, what he effectively did was make the war on terror a binary choice. You are either on one side or you're on the other. There's no middle ground. And the problem is that the space that journalists occupy is by definition that middle ground. We have a responsibility, a professional duty to understand and interrogate all sides in a conflict. When you do that, you cross the line as far as the Americans or, or others are concerned. If you go and interview um, an extremist to find out, to try and understand what it is that motivates and drives them, what the ideology is, you're accused of supporting terrorism or advocating for terrorism. Australia has a law which, which prohibits the, a journalist from giving voice to an extremist under the foreign fighters legislation. And so that kind of thing, I think, makes it impossible for journalists to do our jobs. If you're doing your job professionally under the new regime, you're going to get yourself in trouble. I think that's a very dangerous situation to be in. I'd like to talk about a related issue, which is trust in media or the lack thereof. And I understand it's an issue in Australia and even more so in America. So can you talk about why you think trust is declining? I think there are a host of reasons. First is a digital revolution. It's done enormous damage to the journalists 
or to, to trust in media, partly because what we have is an explosion in sources of information. And when you have so many sources of information, what happens is that you've, you've got this illusion of democracy or democratic choice. And I think that's a, that's a serious problem because all sources of information are not the same. But what happens with algorithms and social media is that we get pushed towards opinions which tend to support our own. And if those opinions, if those views jibe with what you see in the mainstream press, you're likely to distrust them more than, than um, those sources, than, than the things that tend to support your views. And I think that's a problem because good journalists will do their best to get to the bottom of the story, regardless of what they think or what what you as an audience think. And, and often, if you know, when you've only got good professional news organisations to, to use as your sources, if they contradict or challenge your own views, you're much more likely to think again about your own views rather than question those news organisations. The digital revolution has forced news organisations to change their work and not always for the better. There's a primacy now over, of speed over accuracy. We used to joke about the, the new news slogan, never wrong for long. The idea that you should simply get out information fast, particularly when you're competing with Twitter, and then try and follow it up. If, you know, if Twitter says, people on Twitter are saying that, like the Las Vegas shooting um, is a Muslim, then there's an inclination for, for news organisations to quote Twitter as saying there are reports he is a Muslim. That's a, a gross abrogation of journalists' responsibility, but the pressure to say it simply because it's on Twitter already is immense. And I think that's a major problem. We haven't figured that out yet, particularly because news organisations are also in a desperate struggle for eyeballs. And if you're slow or if you're overly conservative, then you lose those eyeballs. And you lose revenue, and that's a that's a serious problem. Those are sort of structural issues that I think are eroding trust. But there is another problem, and that's Donald Trump's dismissal of fake news. And his definition of fake news seems to be whatever I don't, whatever news I don't like. Um, and you know, and dismissing CNN or, or the New York Times or the Washington Post as fake news. He he gives license to both his supporters and other leaders, other political leaders, to use those terms, again, to undermine confidence in news services that spend enormous amounts of time and energy and money in getting the story right. I think that's a, a very serious attack on, on a democratic institution. I'm not saying that every news organisation is perfect, least of all those, the ones I've just mentioned. But I think we're in danger of, in being so dismissive of news reports that are inconvenient, Trump and, and those who echo him are doing enormous damage to one of the most important pillars of a democracy. Just to switch gears again, going back to you, what made you decide to join academia after a career in the field? Again, a whole host of reasons. The first is that my life has changed a lot since since getting out of prison. Uh, it's a very different world now. I'm, a very, I'm in a very different position now to, to what I was when I went in to Egypt. Prison has given me a voice. It's given me a story. It's given me 
a platform and a reputation to speak about press freedom issues. And it's given me a bit of a mission. And I personally feel quite committed to, to following that through. I feel as though that's a, that's a really important part of who I am and what I do now. And simply going back on the road as I did in the past, it feels to me a little bit like sidestepping or abrogating a responsibility, um, particularly because so many people lined up and supported us on that principle. And I feel like I, I, I have a, a duty and a, a responsibility and a, and a passion, let's face it, to follow through on that. And academia and this or this job in particular, and let me not say academia more broadly, because that feels as that sounds as though generally I, I was moving into academia. This job is is particularly useful and, and, and important to me because as the UNESCO chair in journalism and communication, I have a very unusual platform. The UNESCO bit of the job involves research and advocacy around press freedom issues because that's that's rusted into hardwired into the, what this job is. It's a very unusual job in academia that demands that level of, of commitment to, to advocacy. And that's something I'm, I feel very strongly for. And I also feel that it's, it's a great opportunity, of course, to pass on some of the lessons that I've learned as a journalist over the past 30 years, to the next generation of, of journalists. That's always a very exciting opposite, um, prospect. And, and finally, no, there's, there's the prospect of coming back to Brisbane as well, which is where my parents are, my partner's family is. And, and so it all makes it, you know, for personal reasons as well. It, it, um, there's a lot of, not, lot of appeal in it. Going back to something you mentioned earlier, journalism is not in its best financial state at the moment in general, which means there are fewer jobs. And I'm interested in your thoughts on the fact that there are increasing numbers of journalism graduates, yet a shrinking job market. And how do universities kind of justify graduating so many journalists in this kind of environment? Yeah, it's a good question because I, uh, it's something that I've been, I've been grappling with as well, to be honest with you. you know, what, what is it that we're asking students to do? I think that journalism is a kind of extension of the world's second oldest profession. We're storytellers, essentially. And I don't see that role ever disappearing entirely. There will always be a need and for a demand for good journalists. And I think we're in a state of transition, a state of flux at the moment, where we've come from you know, a world of old media, the world that I grew up in, began my career in, into a, you know, the digital revolution, where we still haven't figured out quite how it's all going to work. It's not particularly easy or comfortable for um, the likes of or the new generation of journalists. But I think that we've got to kind of accept that that's the world that we're dealing with at the moment. Uh, we just need to emphasize the, the fundamentals. Of what, of what it is that we do, and more importantly, the role that journalists play in a functioning democracy, and trust that the industry will pick itself up and that journalists will find a role for themselves. So you obviously achieved your initial dream of becoming a foreign correspondent. What lessons would you offer to those who want to do the same or just journalism students generally who want to land up in that industry? I think the first thing is, let's go back to what I was saying to you earlier, that the most important thing that any budding journalist can do is to get the basics right. There is a big fixation at the moment on the newfangled technologies, which are you know, consistently, constantly, rapidly changing. But the underlying fundamentals, how to think critically, how to 
unpack a story, how to tell a good story, who you should be speaking to, how to analyze the information that you're getting. All of those things are still the basic fundamentals and, and you, you need to be able to get that right before you're ever going to be able to function as a good journalist. I think that you need to show a degree of enterprise. That doesn't mean you go running off to front lines as a, as a freshly minted um, journalist, but it means that you need to take the initiative to go out and seek stories out on your own as a freelance before you might necessarily find yourself getting the kinds of jobs that you want. Thank you so much. No problem at all.